everyone, welcome to another episode of the Sports Council Podcast. I am your host, Matt, and I am joined today by Vivek and G for this episode of the show. The 2021-2022 NBA basketball season has officially begun, which means it is time to give you our consensus ranking for the top 10 teams in the NBA this season. We will also share with you our picks to win the NBA Finals this year. Will the Bucks or Suns return to the Finals, or is a Nets and Lakers Super Team matchup inevitable? Today is October 21st, 2021, and this is the 36th episode of the show. Well, uh, it's been a while since our last basketball podcast. I know we had a fantasy football podcast just yesterday, and you can still check that out. But Look at us, man. We're changed people, aren't we? Yeah, I mean... How many episodes have we done since like summer? I want to say, I want to say at least 12, 13. And then we had like 12 or 13 the entire uh, couple of years right there. But, you know, we're getting a little bit more consistent. And we are talking about the NBA this year, uh, this episode, because the start of the NBA season is here. It's crazy because I think the last, the 20, 20 I, I have no idea anymore but the one that the lakers won was only a year ago the bubble champs the, the mickey championship yeah the mickey championship that's why they only uh it was only a couple of uh, months before they started another season because they knew that one didn't count <laughs> yeah makes sense i mean you know they had to make it easy for lebron you wouldn't exactly. want to know other way exactly and we brought Vivek back for uh this episode how are you doing Vivek? I'm good. It's been a long time. I'm really happy to be here, and I can't wait to get started with talking NBA. All right. Sounds good. So we have our NBA power rankings for this week. I know that we uh, started a little bit late, but we're going to give you our consensus top 10 teams for this season. And maybe a little bit has been skewed by uh, this past couple of days of basketball, but I don't think it really affected our minds too much. So we're just going to get right into it. So we each decided to give our top 10 teams and we decided to aggregate the results. So then we have an average of our three consensus picks. So some of us may have teams a little bit higher or lower, but uh, we'll discuss why that's the case. So starting at number 10, we have the Atlanta Hawks, uh, who was able to get to the Eastern Conference Finals last year after a couple of surprising series victories over the Knicks and the 76ers. And unfortunately, before falling to the eventual NBA Finals champions, Milwaukee Bucks. So why do you think that the Hawks have been able to get, is it just the Eastern Conference Finals uh, appearance that had gotten them this far high in our rankings? I know you said that we weren't going to let, uh, you know, the game, set of games that we watched today really be too biased on these rankings. But I think today was just another example of, you know, how mature this young Hawks team is. They came out, you know, first game of the season against the Mavs and just blew them out of the water, you know. And, you know, Mavs aren't like, you know, in our top 10, you know, spoiler alert. But, <laughs> you know, there's a reason. And, you know, they're still a good team. They're probably a playoff team. But, you know, the Hawks handled them with ease, you know. So that's what they, you know, you expect from a team that came came off of Eastern Conference Finals, you know. So I think that was a professive, uh, professive uh, important performance, and I think they're going to, you know, keep building on what they got going from last year. Okay, and do you think that they are at least the top four team in the Eastern Conference right now? Um, yeah, I think they're probably sneaking into my fourth spot. Okay. And Vivek, you have them higher, actually. You have them ninth. 
Um, do you want to reckon, I guess, why? How hyped are you about Trey Young? I think that the Hawks team, the biggest thing that would change between last season and this season is just having the full season of Nate McMillan. Um, under Lloyd Pierce, when they fired him halfway through the season, the Atlanta Hawks were kind of a floundering team. Um, there was a lot of uh, dispute between John Collins and Trey Young about how to exactly run the offense. Um, back in, two years ago, Trey Young was basically kind of playing the Luka role where he had a lot of the time, the ball was just in hand was in his hands and he was kind of dictating, dictating the offense and kind of taking just a lot of the shots. And John Collins had some issues with that. And there were some growing pains. But under Nate McMillan, I definitely noticed that the Atlanta Hawks became much more of a cohesive, deeper squad. Uh, they featured a lot more contributions across the board. Uh, guys like Clint Capella really stepped it up. Bogdan Bogdanovich, uh, Kevin Herter, Danilo Gallinari. Those are all key pieces that the Hawks have been relying upon and will continue to rely upon for this season as well. In addition, I think that the additions and of DeAndre Hunter and Cam Reddish, who also dropped 20 points today in that blowout and looked very impressive out there, they definitely have a very growing young core. And also having um, Gilon Wright, as their backup point guard would do really good additions for them on the defensive end as well. So I think that overall, another year of maturity for the Hawks, another year of cohesion, um, players knowing their roles, players knowing that everyone has to contribute from the top down, and just the improvements of second-year, third-year players and really just drawing that squad together as they reach their uh, collective peak, that's going to be really key for the Hawks. And I definitely think that they are probably sneaking in to my top four Eastern teams as well. It's definitely a pretty tight debate between the Celtics and the Hawks right now for me. But I do believe that the sky is the limit for the Hawks. Yeah, I mean, the momentum that Nate McMillan brought as the interim head coach could not be uh, understated right now. Uh, again, he led them to a very surprising kind of Eastern Conference berth, and hopefully that they keep the momentum going because it he, seems like they finally figured out the offense. I definitely could see Nate McMillan being in the coach of the year conversation this year if he gets a full season with the Hawks because he was already was and you know he only had that portion of the year, so now he got a whole off season gets to incorporate his whole team, and I think that's a, a thing that's going to be big for him. Absolutely. All right, and coming in at number nine, this one was a lot of uh, controversy, I guess, because they were placed wildly in our rankings, as it was. But at number nine, in come the Philadelphia 76ers, the former first seed last year of the Eastern Conference Finals, again, lost to the Atlanta Hawks. And the 76ers were in the news a lot this offseason for all the wrong reasons, mostly because of their superstar point guard, Ben Simmons, uh, trying to request a trade, trying to get out of there, and most recently has been suspended for a game because he didn't want to do a defensive drill for some reason, which is the best thing he's uh, he does, really. But, you know. So why do you have him so high? Because, I mean, out of all three of us, you are the one that has him the highest ranked at six. Yeah. Six. Uh, when I looked at you guys' ranking, six may be a little bit high at this moment, but I did have him there just because I felt like the other pieces are there still for the 76ers. And I don't, I just don't see them falling off way too much from Ben Simmons just because I don't, I just don't like Ben Simmons. And I just don't think that he's as valuable as he thinks to the core of that team. And I feel like honestly, mm -hmm. they don't need him as much to win games just because he provides, he provides, obviously he provides a defense in the passing. 
that they need and the playmaking potential. But at the same time, he also is a spacing problem. And I think that when they continue to run out a traditional point guard, and I feel like Ben Simmons will eventually at least play a game to the Sixers, hopefully. You know, he was suspended one like game. like James Harden game to the Rockets last year. <laughs> yeah, really but... Count, you know, but he's there. He's there. But I just think that, you know, eventually a trade will get done. Something will happen. Uh, Daryl Murray will have to get off his asking price for uh, Ben Simmons. And if they just get a traditional kind of point guard who can most lamely shoot and provide some space in front of Joel Embiid, the superstar center... I think that they could still make it into the Eastern Conference. I think they could still be a contender because the franchise player is not Ben Simmons. It's Joel Embiid. And as long as they continue to have the pieces around him to support him, I think that you know they still are valuable contenders in the Eastern Conference. I mean, I, I, I do disagree with you on this just because I feel like you, know, you have 76ers who really played, like I would say, the best basketball last year. You know, they were the one seed for a reason. They played really well throughout the whole season and they, you know, deservedly got the one seed. But, you know, they should have lost in the second round, if not if I'm not mistaken, to the Hawks, right? Yep. So like how impressive the season was it for them, you know? Like the regular season doesn't mean much for them, you know. Like if the Sixers PM won first season again, no one's really gonna be impressed, you know. Like they're at that point where they need to, you know, get to the finals and win championships for us to be like, wow, the Sixers take a next step. You know, I just don't feel like that's what they're really trajected for right now. I think they're going to take a step backwards just because, like, you know, teams don't really perform the best when there's all this drama and all this, like, talking and stuff going around in the organization. So I just feel like, you know, I can't put them that high. I don't think they're one of the top four teams in the East this year. You know, the East is getting a little bit more top-heavy, and I think they're going to, you know, slowly find a way to be like the um, Celtics from last year where, you know, you – see everything on paper and it looks fine you should expect it to work but it just doesn't you know that's kind of how the Celtics team was last year and you know I think that's kind of what the 76ers are going towards this year that's yeah I, I definitely have to pile on and agree with G about this point as well I think that when we remove Ben Simmons from the equation all the drama aside I think uh we have to analyze this team without Ben Simmons and definitely for the future. And that's kind of the lens in which I approach my ranking, right? So with Tyrese Maxey starting a point guard without Ben Simmons, uh, in Ben Simmons's place, what do the, what does the Sixers look like? And he did drop 20 points and seven assists against the Pelicans, which doesn't really say much as a big signal for how effective he can be. But obviously he did show a knack of passing the ball and providing some outside shooting as well. And he really is more of a combo guard and he isn't a natural point guard, but he provides more of a threat from scoring outside than Ben Simmons ever did. And Tobias Harris also showed a very big ability to step up and become a viable second option for the Sixers. And he did a pretty good job of that in stretches last year as well. So I do think that the Sixers aren't necessarily a bad team per se, but when I look at the East teams all across the board, right, as G was saying, uh, a lot of the talent is consolidated at the top, right? Um, when you kind of look, separate the oil from the water, when you see the teams that are actually, you know, real contenders for winning it all, becoming, you know, deep playoff teams and ultimately winning their later O'Brien championship trophy, right? I don't see the 76ers necessarily having that depth 
and that ability to just you know have a strong cohesive roster from top down to win the to win the championship like say maybe the hawks have the hawks have more talent from top down arguably than the sixers do sans ben simmons and so i do believe that the sixers aren't i put them at number 10 on my rankings actually ranked the hawks above them for this reason i don't think they're a bad team I think that large the strength of the team lies on MVP candidate Joel Embiid, and they will be a fine team. But when it comes to the rest of the teams in the Eastern Conference, and definitely for a lot of Western teams, I just don't see them stacking at the same level. Speaking of a Western team, you know, that I have ranked higher than the 76ers, because, you know, you know, the original list that we're basing this off of is a of an average of all three of our lists. And, you know, 76 of them weren't on my list. I had this uh, Memphis Grizzlies instead of them at the ninth spot. And, you know, I really believe in the Memphis Grizzlies. If you really look at them, they're like the exact opposite of 76ers where you don't really hear much about them, you know, but they win almost every single season. They had John Morant. They made the play-ins long for his rookie year, and then they made the playoffs in the second year, you know, and now this is the third year. Jaron Jackson's going to be back. He had a full training camp. He's really healthy right now for, you know, what it is. And I think they're really ascending forward and, you know, ready to take that next step. And, you know, like I said earlier with 76 years, where they've already made the one seed. They've hit the highs, you know. For them, it's about the playoffs. Whereas for the Grizzlies, they're really in that dog mentality right now. You know what I mean? They're going to go out every game, feisty, ready to win, trying to get, you know, every single win that they can prove themselves, you know, so they got like, they have that, you know, young team mentality, sort of like the Hawks, you know, from last year. And I think they could do the same thing. So I'm kind of more of a prediction, not really based off anything right now. I'm just, you know, predicting that they're going to take another step forward. So I really do believe in the Grizzlies and John Rant. Yeah. I think quickly to your point about the Grizzlies, a lot of their success besides John Morant it's going to be predicated on two things in my mind. Um, a, uh, they replaced Jonas Valanciunas from the grocery starting lineup and they got Steven Adams instead. I think that JV was their second best player throughout a lot of the regular season and even in the postseason too. Uh, he's very effective in traditional big matchups and losing him is definitely going to hurt the Grizzlies offense a lot. So let's see if Steven Adams is able to fill in into JV's shoes and perform at that level because Steven Adams didn't look super hot and with yeah, the Pelicans last year, and that's going to be a big question. But I think the bigger question regarding the sick, the the Grizzlies, mind you, is um, whether Jaron Jackson Jr. can stay consistently healthy and really take that next step because he's incredibly talented. He's a very good defender. Um, he did very well in the opening game, and even though that's not a very good signal for what's to come, it shows that like he has clear potential of being a seven foot three in the stretch five. And that's incredibly high value in this league. Um, and if the Grizzlies were able to keep be healthy and Jaron Jackson Jr. is able to take that step, then I do think that the Grizzlies would definitely hover around uh, the top 10, maybe. There, that potential is definitely there. I do think that they'd have to compete with the Clippers and the Mavericks for that spot, though. And there's like a lot of variance because with the Clippers, uh, they have more stop, they have a, a stop a star in Paul George. With like the Celtics, they have established players in Tatum and Brown. And there's just a lot of good talent around that, the league that uh, may or may not be in the top 10 in the NBA. So to put them at, uh, at your ranking, G, I do see where you're coming from. I do get that mentality. But I'm not going to put them necessarily above the Sixers in, in my case because I think that Joel is 
too much of a known quantity at this point for me to not really give him his credence and his respect for what he's able to do in this league. Okay. Um, quick predictions on Ben Simmons. Anyone want to predict where he's going to get traded to, if at all? Cleveland. <laughs> <laughs> I think it is, I think what's going to end up happening is it's going to be. I think it's like this is like the NBA version of Deshaun Watson trade, where like the team isn't really like they're not really receiving like in certain case of the Texans, they don't really want players back. They want picks, right? But yeah. I think it's kind of the opposite in the seventies. They want players. They don't want picks. So like if you're like a shitty team, like you can't really just offer. Them. I think it's gonna end up being my point is they're gonna end up being a three point three team trade, and he's gonna end up being traded to a team like the Cavs, and then they'll give their picks to a different team for this that a different team to give their players to the Sixers if that makes sense. To your point about uh, Deshaun, I hope the circumstances are not the same with them <laughs> yes. as they are That's with Deshaun. I, I need to, to put that out there, first of all, because that, <laughs> that would just be horrifying beyond belief. But I, I think that Cleveland does make sense is a fit. Um, if uh, the Sixers are able to get someone like Colin Sexton, he would almost certainly help out the Sixers overnight and provide a very efficient scoring punch, which is what the Sixers could definitely use. He's not a traditional point guard, but I do think that he would be a value add for the Sixers. Mm-hmm. I think that the Kings could also be a good fit as well. The Timberwolves have been floated around and the Blazers as well. And I know that both of those teams have been uh, actively trying to get Ben Simmons, although his recent attitude issues have been a red flag um, for some teams as well, you know, the way he's been acting in training camp. Not to get too gossipy, but there are some personal attitude issues that are turning off teams and um, Daryl Morey uh, said, I think, I'm not sure if this quote was true or not, but he said that he's willing to take a very patient approach with getting equivalent value from Ben Simmons. So I think the saga can unfold for a very long time if it has to. Do you know how yeah. terrible it is that your trade value is almost the same as the dude with 22 sexual assault cases? Like, <laughs> do you know, and all you have done is basically not learned how to shoot and like but you know your attitude and your like the behavior is equivalent again to somehow the guy with 22 sexual assault cases and yes Deshaun Watson uh and Ben Simmons hopefully they are not similar in character but it seems like they are also at a standstill when it comes to trades and mm-hmm. uh I, I say that he goes to the Kings I, I say he gets sent to NBA Siberia at some point. It's either the Kings or the Timberwolves. It's not going to be like Portland or something like a better franchise. Yeah. It's not. That's the thing. I don't think he's going to go to a better situation. Yeah. I think it's going to end up being a pretty, pretty regrettable decision by him. <laughs> the young socialite. <laughs> <laughs> I think that if he were to get traded, it could be a fresh start for him mentally. Um, there have been reports that he's pretty checked out with Philadelphia. And to his credence, because no one's necessarily fooling the right or wrong. Um, even though he hasn't been shooting well or has completely refused to shoot, he definitely wasn't uh, treated uh, with that uh, level of, you know, you know, after you do poorly in the game, you definitely want a level of support from your team. And the dog reverse comments and the beat comments haven't scrutinized well enough by this point. But, you know, you don't want to necessarily throw your player under the bus. And even if I'm Ben Simmons, even if I do completely, you know, throw the game, albeit I I do see how you can feel scorned 
to that point. And maybe a change of mentality is what he needs. And it's a very complicated situation. I feel like, you know, you can dedicate a whole podcast on this. And I don't think any sense in the complete right or wrong, but obviously Ben is kind of, you know, holding out very harshly at this point. And he, he definitely is showing an unwillingness to compromise, which admittedly makes him look very bad in the situation. And, and probably you can point most of the blame at him at this yeah. point. Okay, we're going to move on from the Ben Simmons drama for now. And we are going to move on to our number 18, the Miami Heat make their appearance. They also lost this uh, most recent playoffs to the NBA champion Milwaukee Bucks in the first round. I believe the Bucks swept them, actually. They did. And, yeah. And now they were able to retool with Kyle Lowry um, as their new point guard. Um, I believe they also made a couple of other additions. PJ they got PJ Tucker as well. Yeah. yeah. So do you really think that like these two veteran moves, Miami wasn't a finals team at least a year ago, if we're talking in literal terms, a year ago. But we have them over, you know, the Sixers and the Hawks. And top 10 is pretty good. Top eight is even better. So why do you think that the Heat deserve to be here? I, mean, I think I'll go and start off on this. Yeah. I, I think that um, the addition of Flowery is definitely big. The addition of Tucker is definitely big. But I do believe that another year of just, just their homegrown players, uh, I like Tyler Hero, Duncan Robinson, Bam Adebayo, those are pretty big uh, core pieces in what the Heat are trying to do. And I simply believe in their ability to just get better over time. They have proven success during uh during the play postseason they have shown that they're a very good shooting team they've been able to play that zone defense really well and Bam Adebayo is definitely an all-star player and Jimmy Butler is an all-star level player too and Cal Lowry has shown the ability to be an all-star level player and they have good solid pieces playing off their bench and you know you only have a guy like Victor Oladipo playing off the bench for you um these are kind of by low candidates that have a proven track record of success. And, uh, you know, Tyler Hero has shown that he's able to perform in the postseason despite, you know, not doing super hot uh, this past year and him getting off criticized. He's shown the ability to be worth more than his, his expected value from someone of his role. So I think that, you know, across the board, when we look at the depth of a team, when we look at the quality of players, uh, their ability to mesh together, I will always side with the team that has prior precedence of playoff success and just a solid core that has a lot of, you know, miles under their shoes. And this is what, that's what exactly what the Heat have. You know, they're a good core. They're only going to get better. They're relatively young. You know, Jimmy Butler's still in this prime. Uh, and I, I believe in the team. And they have a very solid culture, roster, coach. And all the variables are definitely a plus for them when it comes to what a good team looks like in the East. Yeah. And you have them ranked seven. I have them ranked nine. G has them ranked exactly where we put them eight. Um, do you want to add anything to that? No, I mean, I would just, you know, re reconfirm everything that Viv said. And I'd also add, just, you know, they still got Jimmy Buckets and Bam. You know, they're certified and they're, you know, they're playing great always. They just needed someone that, you know, could run the point for them. Even though Tyler is technically a point card, he doesn't really take point card duties. Um, now you got Kyle. I think that figures everything out for them. All right. So 
Uh, at six and seven, we had varying opinions on this, but they were very neck and neck here. We put the overall, the consensus was the Nuggets are seventh and the Jazz are six. But um, again, these were very close. I had the Nuggets over the Jazz. Uh, G had the Nuggets over the Jazz, but Vivek had the Jazz over the Nuggets. So uh, I don't want to make the case here because G, it seems like you have the Nuggets over the Jazz, but Viv has the Jazz over the Nuggets. So would you like to make a case for why one is better than the other? Yeah, I mean, I got the Nuggets just because, you know, like they went, what, you know, the second round without Jamal Murray last year and with Jamal, they made the Western Conference Finals two years prior to that, or I guess a year, you know, however you're looking at it. And, you know, they're like we were talking about earlier, you know, they're a well-established team. The Jazz always play great in the regular season and, you know, they kind of fall short from expectations in the playoffs and, you know, due to their just, you know, the way they're built and, you know, Rudy Gobert being the most hated guy on Sports Council. Oh, um, yeah. You know, we already know about that. There's what many is, episodes. Who else would be the most hated people in Sports Council? Like Juju? Um, yeah. Benson. Juju. <laughs> Juju, Ben Simmons, Rudy Gobert, top three. It'll be LeBron and my. Oh yeah, oh yeah, I forgot. It has to be LeBron. We literally Disney. made a whole episode. <laughs> yeah, but you know, back to the Nuggets. But I think they're just you know, Jokic is MVP for a reason. And eventually, Jamal Murray comes back, and if he's you know, the same type of player he was before, I think they'll be in a great position to really you know go for another deep playoff run. And the Jazz are just you know, I think they're just missing another you know, star, not star player, but just a healthy offensive bucket, if that makes sense. Like, just someone consistently that they can rely on. You can get another bucket when they need it, other than Donovan Mitchell, because Rudy Gober has a negative amount of offense. All right. Uh, Vivek, Jazz over the Nuggets now. Yeah, I think that with the Jazz, right, you know, having – their roster that they they've pretty much had no really big turnover with their roster. Um, you know, just having a full season of everybody healthy. And they had one of the deepest teams in the NBA. And they were the one seed in the East, in the West for a reason. Uh, you know, Donovan Mitchell and Gobert, that's where the offense starts. But they play a very ball-friendly movement. You got guys like Mike Conley and Joe Ingles and Boyan Bogdanovich open. You got the sixth man of the year in Jordan Clarkson. Then he signed Rudy Gay as well uh, to come off the bench as well. And I do believe that, you know, I'm more biased towards teams that have a strong roster from the top down. And Jamal Murray uh, not being on the Nuggets for a large portion of the season there are reports that he's dunking already and he's made a lot of progress from his ACL injury, which, which are fine and all, right? Like, I believe that Jamal Murray is a great player. But overall, when it comes to who you want to play and when playoff rotations tighten up and everything, I I think that the, that the Jazz are just better from top down. You do have the MVP candidate in Jokic, right? But Gobert, he does have his struggles with defending out in the perimeter. But he's a good interior defender and has the ability to match Jokic, you know. Like, if they were to play in a playoff series, sure, he can flip a coin. And some nights, Jokic will just outplay and outmaneuver and outskill, uh, outskill Gobert and the rest of the Jazz. But, you know, the Jazz from the top down, they have 
people that are able to score in all types of ways, shooting the three. They're able to play ISO too with Donovan Mitchell and Jordan Clarkson. And they also had a top-rated defense too throughout the regular season. I think they were ranked three for number three. I think they were top three in both offensive and defensive ratings throughout the regular season last year, which is something that the Nuggets are notably uh, very strong at on the defensive end. You have a guy like Michael Porter Jr., who's great and all, but he's basically a defensive sieve, right? Like, I'm sure he couldn't defend sand through, like, a graded, like, a plastic gate or something. But he'll shoot over that sand and make it. He probably could, but he'll also give you some uh, hot takes as well, you know, regarding some vaccine opinions. But all that aside, I do like, I do think that uh, Michael Porter Jr. and uh, Jokic are going to be great this season. But, you know, just overall roster construction-wise, you know, having guys like, um, who, are they, who are they even starting? I think Will Barden is starting for them, is starting in place of Jamal Murray. I, I like the lineup, the starting lineup of the Jazz a lot more than the Nuggets at this point. And that's really what it, what it comes down to me. I mean, I have the Nuggets over the Jazz just slightly ahead, just because I feel like it's like when G said with the Sixers, I know that they don't have the same drama that the 76ers have, but I feel like at a certain point they peaked. And this is a team that has not reached a conference finals in a while, right? And I just don't see them getting over that hump because I feel like we talked about it uh several podcasts ago, which makes me happy that it was several podcasts ago, but the Jazz and the 76ers have had these issues for a while now where they, and they can't get better from it because Ben Simmons is ruining the spacing of Joel Embiid and Rudy Gobert is practically just not playable in the playoffs at this point, right? He's just like- they're liability. Yeah, they're liabilities. And when you can't fix that, it's not going to get better because you got, you made your big move, right? You took your roster and you tried to upgrade it with Mike Conley and he's getting old. Like he's getting up there in age. I just don't see that getting better for the jazz as it goes on. And I don't see them being able to reach the same heights as they were last year. Um, when you have a big letdown like that and you don't even make it to the uh, Western conference finals as the first seed, I just see the Nuggets surging a little bit more ahead of the Jazz at that point. It'd be interesting to see a seven-game playoff series between these two. I would be inclined to take the Jazz, I feel. Stop. But... We've seen what happened, bro. You don't forget about playoff Murray like that. That's the thing. No, but oh, okay. But I'm saying without Murray, right? Because I'm saying, like, if you take jo- Jokic and then you have Gobert on him, but Jokic can get outside the paint, right? It wouldn't even be fair what Jokic would do to that man. They played in the playoff series too, right? Yeah, but I mean that mostly was just Jamal versus Donovan, you know. Exactly. So if you take if you take Jamal out of the equation though, I feel like the Jazz are doing that. Uh, I think Gobert's good enough to make the matchup a wash, you know. Like Gobert is definitely not a scrub when it comes to playing interior defense. And yeah. He's he shown the ability, like I, I was watching the Olympics uh, this summer, and he showed the ability to, you know, close out on guards during their, the Francis run. And he did a good job at switching on them, playing a little bit more outside. Uh, people always say, oh, the centers are going to be shooting more threes this season. 
but apparently um, there have been some reports that Gobert might start to shoot outside a little bit more. Uh-huh. I don't know no, if that's no, going to no, be no, true. No, no. Don't but, even say that. Yeah, until I think Gobert has the ability to get better, you know. I think that Jokic has been the MVP. I don't realistically think that um, Gobert has so much more to improve on more than Gobert has more to improve on. And I think that Gobert can definitely close on that gap and make the matchup more guard-oriented. Uh, if you play a Jazz versus Nuggets series, and I like my chances of Donovan versus Jamal Murray. I mean, they both duked it up very harshly uh, during the bubble run, and both looked awesome. So I-, I think that at that point, you have two relatively evenish matchups, and then you just go towards the depth, right? Like, I would rather have... Uh, Jordan Clarkson over Austin Rivers or Campazzo, right? So you got to think about it in terms of those lines. And I, I, I like the Jazz team more from the top down, but I do think that, you know, at the top of their rosters, they're both really good and they can match it pretty well. No, don't get at me with that Rudy Gilbert stuff. I'm sorry. He's Sports Council's most hated player. Yeah. Hey, man, I can't, I can't lie to you. He was, he was bad in that Clippers series. He was real bad. Oh, yeah. No, like the whole team was not good, right? Like it wasn't just him, right? The guards getting beat. And when you have an old ass Mike Conley out there, it's not going to get better. He's not going to, you know, get even better defensively. He's pretty good, but, you know, it's not going to, age is going to be huge on him. That's what I feel. Uh, all right. Number five, consensus number five. The Golden State Warriors make their appearance even after not making the playoffs, unfortunately, last year. Um, it seems like they have rebounded in our rankings, and it looks all as well. So far with the Warriors, they were able to beat the Lakers and the Clippers in uh, two games so far in the season. And now they're ranked number five in the standings. Clay is maybe returning, hopefully, I want to say like after the All-Star break. But, you know, that's a very hopeful wish right now. But it looks like they were able to build more around stuff. They were able to get a couple more veterans in Nemanja Bielitsa and Otto Porter, as well as uh, draft a couple of rookies in Moses Moody and Jonathan Kuminga. So is that really why we're ranking the Warriors in the top five right now, despite them not making the playoffs last year? Yeah, I mean, it's purely based on, you know, potential and past history. You know, a lot of the players aren't there anymore, but, you know, what you know, healthy Clay Thompson, Steph Curry, and Draymond Green can do, you know, and mostly the emphasis on Clay Thompson. You know, Steph and Draymond have kind of done their part about being out there. Obviously, injuries are out of anybody's control, so I'm not hold that against Clay. I think he'll come back as great as ever. Um, you know, Curry had a great game today, a great game against Lakers opening night, so, you know, he's in peak condition. Um, you know, I think he's ready for Clay to come back whenever he can, and, you know, that'll put them over the top, especially once when Eisman comes back, you know, he was number two pick. People, I think, kind of forget that you know, because, you know, he wasn't Lamelo Ball or he wasn't Anthony Edwards, you know. Not everybody needs that on their team, you know. Of course, you know, they probably benefit from having that, but, you know, some teams need a big man that can, you know, stretch a court and be and handle the ball a little bit, do a little bit of everything, shoot a little bit, you know. And that's what Eisman was meant to do, and I think he's going to come back and, play that stretch five that they were looking for last year, and especially with Clayback, that's a deadly lineup. And especially if they're going to have Jordan Poole playing the way he is, you know, I think our last, I think our last NBA podcast that we put out, I predicted Jordan Poole to have the sixth man of the year award. Still with that 100%, I think he's going to be playing great. And I think he's a starter, you know, though. 
Yeah. Yeah, but you know, Clay comes back eventually. He gets moved around. That's true. That's true. I don't know. It kind of it, it's kind of an iffy pick, but it's just you know the thought. I'm a pool believer. Yeah. I mean, he could win uh, most improved. I think that's a mm-hmm. the question. Even yeah. though I labeled him a bust, but um. Yeah, you'd probably hate calling him most improved, Matt. I know you do. Oh yeah, hated in my bones. Sports Council has hated players. I have hated uh, players as well. So it goes Sam Darnold, uh, Jordan Poole, uh, Kenny Galladay. You're like wrong about them, though. <laughs> Not yet. There's still time. Um, I think with the Warriors this year compared to last year is that it felt like the Warriors last year were a little bit more in disarray. And it was really hard for them to find their identity because the year before that, you know, Steph broke his hand. Katie was gone. Clay was injured. Iguodala was gone. Like the entire championship core was gone. So they basically tanked the season um, and they got the second overall pick. And last year was supposed to be the year where, you know, Clay comes back and they would be able to contend again for a title. But then Clay tore his Achilles literally on draft night and, you know, the expectations are completely gone once again. And I feel like the front office kind of scrambled and they had to, they still drafted Wiseman. I think that was always in their plans, but at the same time, they didn't know whether to go into contention or to try and continue to rebuild or not. And so they traded for Ubre, which uh, I'll talk about a little bit later. But at the same time, it just felt really disorganized at the beginning because they were trying to straddle the line between being able to rebuild as well as contend at the same time. So they're giving Wiseman minutes out there. They're letting Ubre just uh, chuck up a lot of bricks out there. And finally, when they realized, you know, Steph is carrying this team with his back all the way to the playoffs, they actually decided to shorten the bench, make some moves, and basically go in with an eight-man rotation that went on a huge winning streak that got them into the playoffs and then out of the uh, play-in tournament. But I felt like that momentum that they got through that season and through the end of the season, more specifically, was able, like, gave them the rotations they needed, gave, I, let them identify the players that they actually could use to win. Guys like Juan Toscano Anderson and Jordan Poole. And I think, first of all, the presence, the, just getting rid of Kelly Oubre is literally going to give them at least a couple wins, just right there, because I cannot emphasize how terrible he was with the Warriors. I think he missed like what, 30 straight or something. Um, started off, yeah. Yeah. Come on, man. That's just ridiculous. It's like he was intentionally trying to waste that down. And those minutes are going to, what's the name, Bleats there? Anyway, yeah. how are you? It's, going, it's going to Jordan Poole because like he's yeah. a starting shooting guard, right? So then, yeah, if you get rid of a guy like uh, Ubre and you replace him with Poole, though I hate him, I hate uh, Ubre a lot more. So, you know, He's definitely going to improve the team. And when you get a guy like Bielitsa, who can be a stretch big, who's looking incredible, by the way, um, I did not expect that. But get a big passing big and a kind of a stretch five. Bielitsa, uh, eventually you're going to get Clay back. I feel like the the Warriors have figured things out a li- at least a little bit more this season. And they're letting Kuminga and Moody kind of take it a lot slower than Wiseman did. And hopefully when Wiseman returns, he's not as big of a detriment to the team as he was last year. So that's I, so that's why I have been as far as for all of us, do we all, you know, kinda 
um, assume that clay is coming back 85%, 75% of what he was at least, right? Especially I think it's hard to pin works. down like yeah. what, what clay would come back as. But I think that for now, if he's just able to stretch to four and just be a threat from the corner or just as a catch and shoot player, um, then that would just be more than enough because, you know, it's a regular season. You don't want to re-aggravate an entry. You want to take things slow. Obviously, you want to balance around winning now versus, um, you know, thinking about, you know, longer-term priorities, such as getting ready for the playoffs, what would place, um, you know, playing time, who he would match up against. Those things definitely would be thrown into more disarray. Like, I think that, for example, when it comes to defense, right, Wiggins would probably be taking the 7-4 best player, uh, like the best player out near, on the opposing team, right? Wiggins will probably be the guy defending him, uh, or, or Draymond, not necessarily Clay. although Clay would normally guard the best wing or the best, like, you know, like a threat of a shooting guard. Mm-hmm. So small things like that, you know, if you have Clay just come as an offensive threat uh, for now and primarily have him focus on that, I think that's ideal. Um, but to your point, guys, about why you think the Warriors are better and talking about kind of like the reasons surrounding that, I think the answer is incredibly simple. It, it has to do with IQ. And if you look at all the players that are on that starting rotation, that eight, nine-man rotation, they all know how to pass the ball. They're making incredible reads. They know how to basically, they know that basically the way that every Warriors possession works within the half court is. Um, the opposing team traps Curry high. Uh, they either have one or two people. And then Curry will just pass it and swing it around the perimeter to Damian or um you have uh, Wiggins and Draymond out there and they know how to make their right reads and basically get it to an open man. And then you have people like, uh, you know, uh, Kevon who will set like that those dribble handoffs and also be at the dunker spot along with Draymond. So I think their offense is much more realized and fleshed out of how they actually want to play around Curry. Uh, back last season, they were just relying on Curry, just throwing up miracle shots and it really worked for a majority of the time. But now when the defense is actually trapping Curry and it kind of becomes like a 4v3 when the Warriors are four and the opponents are like, you know, three men, uh, they really know how to make reads out of those situations. Bielitz is doing a really good job at that along with Iguodala. And you really see the effects on the court. They're taking good threes, they're taking good shots, and they're getting a lot better looks than last season where you had people like Kelly Oubre and uh, Brad Wanamaker that were just forcing oh, things. I forgot about him. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, that was a that was a deep reset. He was stuck in my recesses of my mind. That it really took me. I think it should. It was a, it. was painful to uh, unrepress that memory to say yeah. the least. Oh God. Yep. I forgot about. We it. might be a little homer there though with the Warriors, but yeah, another. We we that. definitely are. You know, recency bias in the past two games, but when we're talking about potential, you know, Curry is a very great ceiling raiser. You know, sky's actually the limit with uh, the Warriors and. If Curry's doing great, you know, this entire team will definitely look like a top contender in the NBA from night in and night out. But obviously, it has to do with when teams actually were able to shut down Curry for an extended stretch of a game, who do you really go to in that moment? Would it be Wiggins? Would it be Poole? Draymond, you know? Like, Draymond can make the passes, right? Would it even be... And he's scoring a little bit better this (laughs) season, let me tell you that. But that's really my question with the Warriors, right? And these two games have been gritty wins. 
but you know when it's a gritty series right what will happen then and i think that's where i'm really holding out and uh, speculating so i'm putting them at five that's definitely a little bit high i the warriors can even be maybe a little bit higher than five if they're really at their peak right but we'll see i think we'll have to watch and see what this voyage team but they're looking really good this season to start off yeah i i felt it felt a little high to me as well but it's just i don't know something about them right now it is probably homerish behavior but okay we're gonna keep moving on yeah i mean Homer's behavior, maybe that's what got this team into these rankings here. The Phoenix Suns, number four, although admittedly we all put the Suns at number four as well. Um, fresh off an NBA Finals appearance to the Bucks, where they lost in six. It seems like the Suns are trying to pick up right where they left off. Chris Paul, DeAndre Ayton, Devin Booker, the big three is still there, and they still got all those bench pieces still with them. So do we feel like the Suns are kind of like the same second best team right now in the Western Conference as it is? Like they've established that now? I think, I think, I mean, I think it's fair to say that. I mean, they look at the teams below them. I think the Warriors obviously, you know, healthy could give them trouble if they got everybody back. I think that, that kind of, for them, for them to beat the Suns kind of relies on Clay Thompson coming back. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I don't think they can. I think they're clearly not as good team. Um, but that's not, you know, the rest of the teams, the Jazz, Nuggets, I think the Suns could handle them in the playoffs. You know, they swept the Nuggets last year, and I don't think uh, CPU was healthy for one of the few of those games. And I think, you know, Booker had a broken nose. I think that was the time, same time. So there was a lot going on. We still swept them, you know. So it was, it's, it, I think the Suns have established that, you know, they can compete. They're closer to the Lakers, Nets, and Bucks than they are closer to like the Nuggets. Jazz, in my opinion. It feels weird to say, considering uh, the Suns' history, but they've really turned themselves around into like a contending team. And again, it just amazes me. They have a lot of talent in Booker, Paul, Aiton, but they also have, you know, great pieces around them. Yeah, again, they remind me of the Warriors of, uh, you know, the 2015 to 2016, uh, 2014 to 2015. They had strength in numbers. They got Bridges, they got um oh they got Cam and Payne, they got uh Cam Johnson, Johnson. yeah. Mm-hmm. And they got a couple of bigs as well. I believe Sarge. Is he back yet? I think he he's not back yet. He tore his ACL last year, I think. Yeah. And he might you know, be back from time playoffs. Yeah, but it's just that huge they got a lot of depth and they're really good um high IQ passing and shooting. So um yeah, I mean, I'd be afraid to take them on in a seven-game series. And they got two really good role players in free agency, and Landry Shamit, underrated, very good pickup, in my opinion, great backup point guard, slash two guard, and then, you know, they had to pick up a backup center because they got JaVale. Did you say <laughs> JaVale, JaVale McGee? JaVale McGee. Shaq in the full star? Yeah. I, I, I love it. But, you know. I'm happy he's back in the league. The league's a better place for JaVale. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. 100%. I mean, uh, there's not really much for me to add besides uh, I think that Mikhail Bridges also deserves a shout-out, as well as Cam Johnson and Cameron Payne. I think they really showed out in the finals and throughout the postseason, and I can expect them to continue to do great things for the Suns as well. I think that, like you guys said, 
they remind me a lot of the Warriors, uh, 2014, 2015. They're a smart team. Uh, they know how to share the ball. They know how to shoot the threes ball very well. And they play a good style of basketball. Um, they're very team-oriented. They're well-coached. And, you know, another year of Booker and Aiden, you know, these guys are in bridges as well. I think they have a pretty young core. And Paul and Sarich, those guys are kind of, you know, the veterans of the team. And they're in McGee as well. So, you know, having another year of experience under their belts inherently gives them, like, leverage in my eyes because barring a major injury or a significant regression, which I highly doubt will be the case for this young core, I think all of them will just get better over time. And, you know, they will have that confidence of being the top team and just knowing that you have proven yourself at the highest mantle, you know, playing for the championship and, you know, taking the bucks pretty far. I mean, these things definitely help on a team's psyche and morale in the long run. Phoenix is to be the laughing stock of the, of the, of basically the whole NBA is of as recently as last year, right. When the bubble was happening. So to make this turnaround so quickly is incredibly impressive. Um, huge props to the Phoenix Suns organization. I, I expect them to do great things this season and, they have a really good roster from top down, top down, and you know I think the Warriors would give them trouble, barring if they have like a healthy clay and everything. But right now, I got to tip my hat to the Suns, and you know consider them one of the best teams in the West because they absolutely are. Yeah, I mean they've matured a lot. I think the only players with playoff experience was uh, Chris Paul and Jay Crowder, so. You know, yeah, all definitely. Yeah, uh, finals appearance. Yeah, they solidified themselves, but you know, I think they're. I think we all obviously are in agreement that they're still outside the big three. And I guess time to move on to the big three. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously, I think everybody understands who they are. We all have a different order for these three teams: Nets, Lakers, Bucks. Um, so those are the three teams, but we all have a different order. So you know, I have the Lakers at third. Um, I you know, I think they're the third best team in the NBA. I think that's a uh, pretty what's the word pretty nice of me gracious of me to do <laughs> because a they look like shit and b they have russell westbrook and you know you might be not might be you know sports council's most hated player he definitely is oh, my yeah. most hated player yeah you know i've been on air bashing him hating on him and you know much as almost baker mayfield but you know <laughs> he's getting up there and yeah i just i just don't like you know, the style of basketball he plays in, you know, the postseason. And, you know, it doesn't really mesh with what the Lakers have. They're a slow, old team, and they don't, don't play great defense. So you can't really, like, have a lack of shooting there. It's not a great mix right now. I still think, you know, people are like, oh, this is a Laker team that's going to, you know, be in the, the postseason. There will be changes. There are no way changes in the Lakers team, you know. That would show me a Laker roster or at least a LeBron roster that has the same players from the beginning of the season to the end of the season, you know? Like, when does that ever happen? So I think they'll add someone, something will change to, you know, whatever they need. But they're definitely the third best team, in my opinion, just because, you know, the Nets have what the Lakers want in a sense of just star power mixed with good role players. And then the Bucks, I think, are the best team in the league. So I think those two are definitely better than the Lakers. I mean, I'm inclined to agree with you there. It just feels wrong for me to take out the Lakers as my top two team. I have them at number two. I have them at the highest one. And I think that with the Lakers, it's just hard to rule out LeBron and AD. I just hate 
I hate LeBron, guys. I really do. <laughs> I can tell. Yeah, but it just like you can't rule him out. It just this man's on his what nineteenth season already, and his hairline is non-existent, but he's still putting up like what dead thirty carpet. points. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I I could not believe what I was watching out there, seeing his headband. What was uh on top of his headband there, but I, I couldn't believe what was happening with his <laughs> hair, but I couldn't believe what he was singing the game as well. Yeah, he jumped thirty again, and he was shooting out there like he was, you know, the Miami Heat number six. It was ridiculous, and it's just hard for me to count out LeBron and Anthony Davis. You know, we, it's kind of more of a win than an if when he gets hurt. So we we kind of expect that at that point. But when he's there, he's gonna dominate. Yeah, we're Russell Westbrook, man. I just don't see it working out as well as they think, and it feels like yes. A, Aging core is good for a playoff run, but at the same time, I think that an important caveat to note is that we're just not discussing enough how many seasons we've had. Now, this is the third NBA season in under a year, right? And the Lakers have made it to the finals in the first one, and they got to the first round in a six-game series against the Suns in the second one, where they were already starting to break down. And now they're playing basketball, what? four months later already, it just feels like all of that, uh, all of those minutes are going to compress eventually to the point where you have the oldest roster in the NBA as well. Yeah. And they all played minutes as well. Someone's going to break down on that Lakers team. And just, and I'm not blaming the age of the Lakers. Like it's just a part, it's just a factor in it. I, I mostly consider the fact that, yes, there's a lot of minutes being played within the last, year or so that is eventually going to cause someone to break down and like these teams that have made deep playoff pushes in both years mm-hmm. they're going to be affected the most by it i mean if you look at them i mean even in the first game you guys notice how anthony davis certain points of the game had his hands on his knee just gasping for air like he was the first time conditioning in like three months or something you know like it's just kind of you can kind of tell like the effects of playing all those games in such a short amount of time exactly. in the first game of the season yeah. And I just think that, you know, there's just a lot of why you don't put the Lakers as your number one team is because there's just a lot more question marks than there is positives here. We know the positives. We've seen the positives win a championship, but there's just a lot more to consider now. And there's a lot more detriments um, to the Lakers point. Yeah, I, I'm really glad I brought up the point about minutes, Matt, because obviously the Lakers, really just LeBron and AD at their best. As much as we dislike LeBron around here, I think we're all in agreement that his ability is inimitable and he's truly one of a kind. And the stats he's able to put up, his IQ, um, really just his impact on the court all around. Those are things that will always put a team around the top three, you know, like no questions asked. And my real question with the Lakers simply just lies and their ability to find a good rotation um, come playoff time, right? There's a lot of pieces that have veteran experience, but when it comes to actually, you know, uh, playing them heavy minutes, when it comes to figuring out what lineups work best, what will Luke Walden do with his rotations, right? Um, there's just really one big if for me, and that's just a Russell Westbrook fit. Um, I do think that, you know, Russell Westbrook, he does take some time to get going. You know, he, the, there's this traditional 
cycle with Westbrook. He looks really bad the first two months. <laughs> he kind of turns it around in January. He looks amazing the rest of the season. And then come playoff time, to kind of just shoot his way out of the game and not be able to space the floor. And LeBron and Russell's best abilities, um, you know, being very dominant ball handlers and, you know, orchestrating an offense, they overlap with each other to the point where I'm kind of worried about their ability to gel and fit on the court. I do think that it'll get better over time as Walt is, uh, uh, not Walden, sorry, uh, uh, Vogel. <laughs> I was saying Walden, I realized <laughs> I'm a couple years late. But when Vogel figures out, um, you know, how to play his guys, what will they do when they, will they stagger uh, Westbrook? Will they stagger LeBron? How will they play both of them at the same time, right? So those are open questions that they have to struggle with and grapple with throughout the season. And I don't see them, you know, being um, too great in the regular season for that because I think there will be growing pains. But I'm just worried about the Russell Westbrook fit. Um, I think that the Buddy Hill trade would have been far more optimal for this team, but they decided to go with uh, Westbrook instead. So m- maybe I'm proven wrong, but I that nagging question just gnaws at me and. I, I can't put them much higher for that in my mind. I think I think they're I think what's end up gonna happening is he's gonna end up running a lot with the second unit and LeBron's end up running with the starters and now the Anthony Davis a lot more. And then you'll see, you know, Westbrook's minutes staggered compared compared to what LeBron's in. You know, I think that's gonna have to be the answer. And you know, obviously during the beginning of the game, at the end of the game, they'll have to play together. But throughout the second, third, and most of the rest of the game. You know, they won't be on this court at the same time. I think that's the only way you can make really make it work because of the way that there's, you know, play styles and all that. You know how incredible it is. Like when I felt, when I was watching the Warriors game against the Lakers, it just whenever Westbrook had the ball in his hands, I was relieved because I was like, at least it's not in LeBron's hands. At least it's not in AD's hands. It's in Russell Westbrook's hands. It's okay. We're fine here. Like I just he's not a threat, you know, to me and like. It, again, they, they tried this rotation where they had LeBron and I believe Westbrook in the same rotation. Mm-hmm. It wasn't working. And Rondo. They had all three of them out there at one yeah. time. Like they had Rondo too. And like Rondo works best with AD, right? So then if you either have, so that means Russell Westbrook either goes with LeBron and you put Rondo with AD mm-hmm. or you do Westbrook and AD and it's kind of like a worse fit. And you have Rondo and LeBron, which doesn't really make a lot of sense either. So it's just, I mean, like, I think if weird. you look at the end, by the end of the season, if you look at the lineup, they probably have the highest plus minus with. It's going to be a lineup with Rondo and not Westbrook. And, you know, that's just going to be a matter of the fact that with probably the same starting lineup, but with Rondo running the point, they're probably just on a more efficient, well-rounded team. And, you know, it's crazy because Rondo is probably more of a shooting threat than Russell Westbrook at this point of his career. And, you know, we can go on about how much you hate Russell Westbrook and stuff, but, you know, especially comparison, you know, like this is the top 10, you're comparing it to other teams in the league and, you know, other two teams are the Bucks and the Nets. And I think we all just agree that they're just, you know, I think better than the Lakers. Oh, yeah. Also underrated uh, note here, Russell Westbrook, Carmelo Anthony uh, reunion on the Lakers. Well, that one was the first time. So happy you're doing it a second time. Exactly. They know the ride along with you. (laughs) God. All right. Number two here on our list, the NBA champion Milwaukee Bucks. We all have them in varying positions. I have them at third. G has them as first. Vivek has them at second. 
it's good for the Bucks. It seems like they are constantly underrated because of the super teams, but they made it to number two on our list because I think it's a lot of that uh, NBA Finals luster. When you win a championship, you're going to be considered a good team. But, you know, Giannis mm-hmm. has, you know, just shown to everyone how he's been able to carry a team to a championship. And I think that yeah, he's that guy. Is. Yeah. He answered a lot of the questions people have had about him. And he solidified himself as a top three, four player, undebatably. And, you know, I'm not going to go on about it too much. And, you know, like, if you didn't watch basketball last year, you kind of missed it probably. But if you had, you know, a pair of eyes and TV or a phone, you've probably seen how great the Bucks were, you know. So, you know, I'm not, you, you've seen Middleton, you've seen Drew Holiday, you've seen, you know, what they're about. Bobby Portis is back. You know, they've lost PJ Tucker, which I think is come a sort of a significant loss, but I gave him the one ring camp. You're like, you know, just overall with, you know, the big difference being, you know, they're, they're just set. Like, what question do you have about, like, the Bucks? Like, what do you, like, worry about? Nothing, in my honest opinion, but I can think of, uh, one pretty big reason why I'd be worried about the Nets, you know, COVID-19 and vaccine shot. That's pretty terrifying to me having no Kyrie. You know, obviously I still would have them as, you know, a top 10 team without Kyrie. But, you know, my second ranking from them of the Nets does really heavily, you know, rely on Kyrie being there as well as, you know, Harden and KD. If that's, you know, all three of them out there and playing well, playing together I think they'd be the best team but until I can see Kyrie out there and not be distracted for a good period of time then I'm not willing to put him at the I'm not putting the nets at the first team and you know I think Bucks should just have all my answers questions I have no worries I know Giannis is going to try even though they got blown out by like almost 40 today but you know it is what it is it happens yeah I mean I had the Bucks just slightly rank lower just because I feel like, you know, sometimes I feel like the P.J. Tucker loss is going to be a little bit bigger than, uh, than other people anticipate. And it's not necessarily a bad ranking. They're the second best team in the Eastern Conference as I have it ranked right now. But at the same time, I just, you know, top three themes, top three theme. And it's hard to be other two other super teams at this point for that ranking. Yeah, I mean it's understandable. I could see it. You know, Peter Tucker is a great player, so. Yep. Okay. Yeah, I, I think that with the Bucks, right? Uh, just to give my take on it, mm-hmm. the Bucks obviously don't really have as many questions about them or surrounding them as she said. Um, I know that Holiday and uh, Lopez were out uh, the past couple of games um, due to some injuries, but I don't really predict that being necessarily a big indicator. Maybe it could be, you know, uh, that they t- have a lot of wear and tear from the postseason run last season. I know Giannis was talking about in a preseason interview that it has some lingering knee pain, and that could be a question um, as the season goes along, you know, because they're coming off a pretty quick reset uh, offseason between when they were playing versus now. And obviously, when you have more games played during the postseason versus when you actually start off the season and play a full season all over again, you know, it's really hard to repeat as champions, right? Um, The Warriors definitely had struggles doing that. It wasn't an easy ride for them, you know, to be able to repeat as champions because it takes a really huge physical and mental toll 
for each team to grow their best at United and a night out. And so you mean a super team? Is that what you need? I mean <laughs> that's if exactly added Kevin why. Durant, I think if they added Kevin Durant to the team this year, I think they're probably pretty favored to win. What do you guys think? Beat the Bucks? Yeah. You no. mean, like that's what basically how, the Warriors are, did, right? How are Giannis and uh KD gonna share the ball, huh? Oh, same way Stephanie and KD did, you know? I think they figured it out quite well over there. Yeah. No, but I agree with you, Viv. I think, like, you know, if 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 KD's playing, I think, like, the way he did last year, he's the best player in the NBA. I think that's undebatable as well. Yeah, we, we, we can't debate that. I think yeah. KD has to be number one. He's yeah. a seven-foot Curry at his peak of his game. It's you know, incredible. In like, yeah. he can shoot just from, you know – Sure, Curry might shoot from 10 feet back. It still only counts three points at the end of the day. Like, it's still three points from a further you shoot it, you know. But Katie can hit as many three-point shots as anybody in the league. And Definitely. be hot as anybody in the league, you know. So it just comes down to me, you know, like someone needs to help him in the playoffs. And if Harden's that number two option in the playoffs, I kind of get worried a little bit. That's why I think that Kyrie really needs to be that number two guy because he's was that number two guy when he won in Cleveland. And that's if he takes a similar role and aggression in the playoff, he could, like he did in that Cleveland series or a couple of years he was there when LeBron, I think that's the same type of Kyrie needed right now. But come on, uh, what do we, what do you guys think? Do you think you're going to get Boston Kyrie or you're going to get Cleveland Kyrie? It's kind of Man, like, I Boston. honestly think that like, even without Kyrie, right? I do like my chances with Harden and KD, you know, really? Hard- Harden can be more of the distributor. I mean, he, right. he's great at passing the ball, playing the pick and roll. I think they're going to be doing a lot more of that this season as well. Um, you know, they can maybe use Blake and uh, Paul Millsap as their role men. Um, and, you know, Bruce Brown as well, Nick Claxton. They have pieces that they can work with. And KD and Harden, they've proven that they can be huge carries in the regular season. I like Giannis's ability too, but I mean, come on. I think KD and Harden just have a knack of scoring the ball, uh, playing good team basketball too. I think KD's very underrated in that aspect, actually. He knows how to make the right reads. He's not just a great scorer, but he's also a plus defender. Not maybe all uh, defensive team per se, but he knows how to get blocks, how to maybe even defend the perimeter and the rim at times too. And he has a very good all-around game. And I think Harden can make that adjustment too. He went from being the primary scoring option in Houston to, you know, fitting very seamlessly with the Nets, within the Nets offense and playing more is that true traditional point card. And see, you, like you can't, only, I can't really doubt them. I can't doubt their abilities. Like it's too hard. Kyrie doesn't play, right? He can, he, he can play that true, true, true traditional point card throughout the regular season. It works, right? I mean, with Kyrie, like, I, I don't really, no, I actually yeah, might I disagree with there. Yeah. Because the Kyrie's is more like, of a scoring guard. No, the thing is, like, Kyrie is Harden's your guy in the regular season. We've seen that, right? Right. Yeah. Kyrie's supposed to be your guy in the playoffs. That's what I'm KD saying. You both. need Kyrie there. Yeah. You need Ky- or obviously, KD's got to be both. It's always relies on KD being both. Mm-hmm. And I don't think anybody questions K- KD being both, you know, in the regular season and postseason, right? But I think it's Kyrie. Like, if Kyrie doesn't need to do anything in the regular season. He doesn't need to play a single game in the regular season. He needs to show up postseason because you know James Harden is not going to show up. And that's just a matter of fact. Yeah, so gee, I totally agree with that. But here's like my decision calculus, right? With Kyrie, with that whole trio, the squad's virtually undefeatable, right? I completely and utterly agree with you on that. Mm-hmm. And I think everyone will basically agree with us on that. That this Nets team at their peak is 
really an all-time team. They're absolutely right. incredible on offense and they're they are, they're revolutionary, good. really. But even with Kyrie out, I still it's a lot closer. I give you that. With Kyrie, this it's a complete blowout. But without Kyrie, I slightly well, like the they chances. Did last year without Kyrie. It did, but Harden was also injured. Yeah, we played with a, uh, yeah Harden with was that, good too. Yeah, we played with a torn hamstring, and he didn't. He could not shoot out there. He generated no lift on the shots, and they tried to play yeah. him as a decoy. And still, like you know, Katie was obviously incredible enough uh, mm-hmm. to carry that I, series I as long as it did. I get what you're saying, but you know, the best thing was for Harden to be a decoy because I mean, he's actually trying to play in way postseason is not very good, so. Yeah, I mean, I'm no by no means a Harden fan, but I respect him enough because I he's like Harden too. Before. Yeah, <laughs> I have nothing against Harden, but it's just Chris Paul. Harden's got something against Harden, bro. Like he just doesn't want to see him su- himself succeed. You know, like I would, I would watch, I literally watched him lead a team to a 25 missed straight threes. You know, like he was there. Like I yeah, literally, he, he was, that was not good. He contributed. Healthy, nothing wrong with him. <laughs> And at least physically, mentally, there is something wrong happening there. I don't know. Yeah, he man. was almost the reason they beat the Warriors, like a big reason. And then he kind of just, I mean, it was not just him, but yeah. I mean, the the Rockets were outperforming the Warriors at, at large stretches of that series. I mean, right. I, I can't was... even be a homer and deny that. No, but, but at the same I mean, time, no, but I feel like at the same time, we saw the series next year. I know it's not going to be the same thing, but KD was out next year and they had a perfect opportunity at home. Chris Paul, James Harden. That's my point. There. Every time you they have one of these it. Harden teams, they always underperform. And that's just maybe a Harden thing to do. Yeah. I, just, I, I think that Harden maybe being the primary scoring option or like the primary initiator or yeah. just like the bad, big scoring threat. I, I will give, I do agree that he's underperformed in the postseason. I mean, he's had very good games in the postseason too. Like it's not a consistent, like he's. Com- complete yeah. garbage right like joker, yeah. it's it's more it's more nuanced than that i'm not going to call him complete trash but i do agree that he hasn't been able to get as far as he should have uh, in a couple of big series and i do think that playing with a guy like kd will alleviate a lot of the pressure for harden and he can focus on other parts of his game too because when you play with a guy like kd right that's just a floor racer and a ceiling racer mm-hmm. like with, with a guy like kd you'll just be able to but not worry as much about your game yeah, at all. I, I agree with you, but we've noticed with a guy like KD, you know, like he needs a second option that can get an own bucket. Like he never had that. That was a problem with OKC the first time, and that's why he was able to win with the Golden State was because Curry was willing to be a 1B to 1A, even though, you know, talent-wise they're probably equal. He was willing to like, you know, all right, we can do this together. You know, he needs someone else in the playoffs that's going to, you know, if it might might be hardened, you might it might be right because he's allowed to take a step back. But, you know, I'm not going to believe it until I see it because he's had, what, nine, eight years in the postseason to show me. And you guys are saying that in his 10th time in his postseason, he's going to change the way he plays. You know, people don't change like that. You know, things that have, that have been going on don't just like, you don't wake up and, you know, you know just change all the things that happen. You know, that's how it works. We're not Doctor Strange. We just kind of, you know, keep doing what you do. That's how people are. And uh, until I see Harden, you know, take over a playoff game or, you know, show that he's ready for a big-time playoff game, I can't, like, I can't have him as my number one team. Have him as my number two, though. That's fair. 
I mean, it's fair, yeah. I, I feel like Harden is better than Westbrook for Durant, but worse, way worse than Curry, I'd say. But I'd mm. be okay. Like, come on, if you gave me James Harden, you gave me the former MVP, um, you know, alongside KD, I wouldn't be mad at my chances. And I'd be yeah. okay. like, I'd be perfectly fine with that. But yeah, I think this team needs Kyrie in order to be truly unstoppable because the only thing that's taking this team down is health or Kyrie. And it's looking like Kyrie right now. Pretty much Kyrie yeah. at this point. So, I mean, while we're speaking on it, like, what do you guys think is going to happen with Kyrie? We could kind of finish it off with that. I hope he retires. I'm just saying I hope he retires. I have two words for my answer. Who knows? (laughs) I don't think Kyrie knows what he's going to do tomorrow. Kyrie can go backpacking in Western Europe or some shit. Call it a spiritual journey to raise awareness for some random kids in Senegal or some shit. Yeah, like not not to be on my soapbox, but he's just like a rebel without a cause at this point. And his mercurial nature really doesn't yeah, he's really like defending enable like a, like a minute like community of people that are anti-vax. Like it's not like a like a religion or not like a like a community of people or something. It's just some random people that decide that they know better than scientists, you know, like they don't really need to be spoken out for in my opinion, but Kyrie can do what he gotta do. Yeah, I don't necessarily have any sympathy for Kyrie, uh, his takes. I necessarily, I don't condone him in any, by any means. I don't think anybody does. But what he does is up to him, you know. Um, But I think he's going to, if the Nets don't win, uh, and if Kyrie doesn't play all season, and if the Nets don't go and win the championship, like I believe many think that they probably would if Kyrie were to play I think it's more than fair to just point the fingers at Kyrie and said he was the one who derailed the entire season and really you know just wasn't a team player which is absolutely the worst thing to do in sports yep don't really have a lot of respect for Kyrie before and uh not a lot right now so let's leave it at that notable emotion emissions from the rankings I know G had the Grizzlies but they did not make our top 10 overall Mavericks are not there. Clippers are not there. Uh, any comments on that? No, I mean, I think the Clippers are just kind of, you know, nothing really without Kawhi. I think PG can have a great season this year individually, but, you know, it doesn't really mean shit. I think they're just going to kind of compete for a 6 7 seed, maybe even a playing spot. And if they get in and somehow Kawhi Leonard decides he wants to, go out and really, like, you know, risk it all by playing, which doesn't really seem like a Kawhi Leonard type of move. You know, I, don't, I just don't think they're that, they're that, you know, that team anymore. That's contending for anything. They're basically the Pacers, uh, Paul George Pacers. That kind of basically what it is, you know, Darren Collins and Georgie Jackson and then Miles Turner's Marcus Morris. <laughs> well, it's a good team, right here, don't get me wrong, but yeah. is it a top 10 team? I just don't buy it. They're not necessarily, they're a good team. They're, but they're, I, I don't, they're I don't, I don't see it. I don't see it being like, you know, world beating in terms of how good they are this season. Yeah. The fall from grace. But she, I think three years ago, maybe when me put and them at number one the power rankings. Yes, they were our number one pick and uh, not even in the top 10 now. All right. Um, let's do any quick 
let's say MVP predictions and your finals and like finals uh, prediction, just real quick. You don't have to explain it too much. Yeah, um, I'll go with my finals prediction as uh, Nets and Warriors, and my MVP prediction will be. Give me a second. Let me think. I will go with. Oh man, I'll go with Kevin Durant. Okay, I have the Nets over the Lakers, and I have Kevin Durant as well. Actually, you just copy me. Hmm? No, I put the Lakers. No, no, no I'm, just I'm just kidding. <laughs> Honestly, I'm just going to go with the Mocha Toast, like very standard bread and butter prediction, which I think everyone thinks is going to be Lakers-Nets, just as Matt said. And I'll probably just give it to the Nets because KD will be KD. Um, actually, no, I'll, let me switch it up. I'm going to say that the Lakers win the championship. Um, oh, sorry. That's wrong. I'm gonna I'm gonna say I'm gonna say it because a I have to be contrarian just to generate some sort of spice for this oh. podcast and b like I I can't count out LeBron James as much as I dislike the man he is amazing in the postseason and he's gonna have to really carry Russell Westbrook and I think he'll really have to try super hard in the postseason uh, because we already know that Westbrook's probably gonna you know shoot him in the foot metaphorically uh, speaking you know. So, yeah, I'm going to go with that. LeBron's had to face a lot of obstacles. He's had to face the Celtics of 2010-2011. He's had to face the, you know, 2015-16 Warriors and the 14-15 Spurs. But I don't think he can overcome Russell Westbrook. I'm sorry. It's truly going to be the hardest road for him, yeah. frankly. The hardest road. But hey, if he actually does it, that that's probably going to be a yeah, if LeBron, very impressive. If he wins a Russell Westbrook, think about that first. <laughs> think about Russell that. Westbrook wins the championship before James Harden. Yes, people's heads will explode. If if, if LeBron James wins a ring this year and Russell Westbrook's on the team, LeBron James is the greatest basketball player of all time. I'm willing to say that too. Uh, I'm willing to say Jordan. openly and proudly. I, don't think Michael Sorry, I can't. Can I can never say that anyway. So I'm not even going to make that promise. No, as, as I know, I'm not going to have to, like, you know, fulfill that promise ever. Yeah. MVP pick of it, anything? Yeah, a Jordan Poole. No, oh, okay. no further questions for honor. All right. Sounds good. <laughs> That's going to do it for this episode. Uh, you can always follow us on Twitter at Bay Council. Find us on Spotify, iTunes, at Amazon Music, at Sports Council. That is Council with a C-O-U-N-S-E-L. Sometimes people get confused. I just want to put that out there. All right. Uh, last words, anything you want to say? Yeah, see you. All right. Goodbye.